So good evening everyone. Welcome to our continued discussions on progressive devotional service. We're still discussing Srila Bhakti Vinod Thakur's discussion, his discourse on uh, six items that are unfavorable to devotional progress and six items that are favorable, taken from Rupa Goswami's Upadeshamrita. And this evening we're going to continue with the six items that are favorable for our devotional practice. We've discussed in general and a little more specifically the first two items, Utsahan, Nischayad, and this evening we're going to try to go through Daryat. So Utsaha, enthusiasm, Nischaya, confidence, and tonight Daryat, patience. So we see that Bhaktivinoda in these essays, these are actually 12 essays that he, he put out, uh, published in his magazine, and then later compiled in a book, Bhaktyaloka. We look at these items that are favorable when we look at what's the underlying substance that he gives that really brings these points home. So we talk about enthusiasm and what was what was his primary focus when he discussed enthusiasm? His primary focus was an enthusiasm based on steady practice. So in discussing enthusiasm, he, he, he brought out the point that enthusiasm, which is what? Of shraddha or faith. He considered enthusiasm the life of faith. So he spoke and he took from Vishwanath Chakravarti Sakur's uh, Madhurya Kadamani and he discussed what are the symptoms of someone who is not yet steady because unless he's steady his enthusiasm is not steady so he we see here this emphasis on again the underlying Principles of progressive devotional practice. Adao Shraddha Tata Sadhu Sangotha Bhajana Kriya. That this is a process. Um, and the process is thoroughly discussed again and again. It comes up from the Srimad Bhagavatam, the second chapter, to uh, Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu's instructions to Sadhatanga Swami. Uh, to Rupa Goswami's handbook for progressive devotional service, to detailed analysis based on this progressive path by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur in Madhurya Kadambani. And elsewhere, again and again, these different stages, these different stages of ever-increasing faith 
are brought out. First, Shraddha. Sadhu Sangha. Vajna Kriya. Anartha Nivriti. Nista. Ruchi. Sakti. Bhava. Praying. Step by step, we progress. Uh, so there's nothing nothing that is not covered in a very comprehensive way and we see that this line of devotional service coming forward from Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is extremely systematic in its presentation and the various acharyas have 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 rested on this this aspect of of systematic practice according to our capacity, which is determined by the sadhus, the association that we take. So it's not just some fly-by-night thing. It's not something that we just. It's not simply a a faith alone. It's a faith with well-grounded philosophy. So initially, when we look at these items that are favorable, we start with enthusiasm. Bhakti Yanod said, well, if you're going to be enthusiastic, be enthusiastic based on a steadiness. A steadiness that means you have progressed to the stage of Nista. So when we look to true enthusiasm, this we will see in the devotees who have, through enthusiastic service, been able to dissipate the majority of their Anarthas. And the two go hand in hand. Enthusiastic service and the dissipation of Anartha. They work together. The more we're enthusiastic about our practice, the more Anarthas are not going to negatively impact our devotional progress. Then we look to Utsahan Nishchayad. So, Nishchaya confidence. And what's Bhaktivinoda Thakur mentioned when he gets into discourse of confidence? He brings forth the fact that the knowledge that the devotee accept is a confidence based in religious revelation, not mental speculation. Religious revelation coming from, well, who's the most realized? from Krishna himself. He gives the Vedas. So what higher revelation is there than that? So there's the Vedas, the knowledge coming from Krishna himself, revealed by the Supreme himself, about himself. How can it get better than that? Is there any speculation? Is this some something that's based on hearsay? Or maybe it's this way or that way? Or some conjecture? So Bhaktivinoda touches upon different ways that people logically arrive at conclusions. So which he talk about when he talks about logically arriving at conclusions. He talks about, well, we have our direct experience from our senses. We have some, well, if it's this way in this instance, then it's probably that way in this other instance. So he, lo- he touches upon a little bit of the different logics. And then he quickly dispenses them saying, but our logic is based on scripture. 
So when we talk about confidence, well, let's have confidence in the fact that this is revealed knowledge. It's descending. It's not coming from the sense. It's not coming from the temporary plane. It's coming from the eternal plane. And it is reinforced. We don't accept just Shastra. We accept Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra. So we accept this. Our trilogy is this is verifiable. This is verifiable knowledge. There's revolutions. The sadhus who have studied the scriptures and come to the proper understanding and are revealing what is the essence of those scriptures, even when they're discontent themselves in what they've given. Vyasadeva was discontent. I haven't, I don't understand. I've put it, there's some sense lacking here. So the sadhu comes and says, well, let's go deeper. Let's take out the essence, the bhakti. You didn't give enough bhakti. So, guru, shadu, sastra. This is, this is how we have confidence. Our confidence is there. Shruti, smriti, puranadi. And any actions in devotional practice that do, are not firmly grounded in this, they can create a disturbance. They can create a disturbance in what is maintained as a pure presentation of devotional life. So now we come this evening to Daryat. Enthusiasm, patience. Enthusiasm, confidence. And this evening, patience. It's taking some patience. So where's Bhaktivinoda going to go for patience? What's well, interesting, where he goes from patience is he goes back to the first verse of Rupa Goswami's Upadeshamrita. Because patience we see in someone who is what? Daryat? He's a dira. This is the patient person the sober person. So if we want to see an, ex an exemplar of patience, let us go to that personality who is sober. Well, where do we find sobriety in this world where everybody seems to be intoxicated in one way or another? Now, of course, there are men in the world that are going to say, well, if there's anybody intoxicated, intoxicated, it's you guys, you spiritualists. I mean, come on. We know religion is the opiate of the masses, and you guys are taking it in doses that are beyond even <laughs> what anybody else takes. Day in and day out, you live by this dogma of religion. And you stay intoxicated from the reality which is the world out there. And you think this will, you know, this will make you happy. But perhaps you're all just fools. Perhaps you don't have a grasp on the reality. Well, we beg to differ with them. Oh, we don't have a grasp? Well, let's look at the world. The world that you think is so wonderful 
let us analytically look at it. Let's look at what's going on here. One living entity is food for another. What's that about? Is this the world we are living in? Where one animal is running from another animal who's trying to eat. Look at the animal kingdom. Forget the fact that we have some higher intelligence, which you want to discount. Let's just look at the world in the basest way. So you say we're just simply opiated out on religion. And we're, we've actually, we're disconnected from the world. We're disconnected from our real feelings. We're disconnected from our real religion. This is how we're portrayed in the world. You're simply religious fanatics. Well, let's look. What is fanatical about our existence? The fact that we don't want to accept a world where everything ultimately is ripped away from us. That makes us a fool. Now, wouldn't it be the foolish thing to say, well, maybe, perhaps, you're putting all of the energy of your existence into fallible soldiers. So the great sages are saying, just step it back a minute. Okay, you want to criticize, we're just sitting on the banks of the holy rivers and, and trying to put our mind around a conception of ourself which works for us, that works for us and lets us see the world for what it is. Now, what is your world based on? Is your world really grounded in a solid reality? You say ours isn't. Well, let's look. Whose reality is better, yours or ours? So the sages, they're simply trying to point out these are simple things. One living entity is food for another. Human life begins when I start to ask, why am I somebody else's meal? Why am I why am I being chased? Why am I suffering? Why do other people put me in awkward situations? Why does the environment itself seem to destroy my parade? And why does my mind constantly not content in my existence? So these, these miseries are coming from myself, from other living entities, from the higher authorities, from the environment itself. One day I'm living comfortably and the next day the living... The mountain I'm living near explodes and I'm covered in ash along with the whole the whole city to the point that no one can breathe. Finished in a heartbeat. So this is our question. This is our this is the question the sages ask. Take a careful look at what's going on.
before you so quickly dismiss us as opiated spiritualists. Sober people. Who's the sober person? That's the question. And that's what Bhaktivinoda that's why he takes the discussion back to the beginning of Rupa Goswami's Upadesha Amrita. And there we have a definition of who is a sober person. Vacha Vegam Manasakuru Vegam Jiva Vegamudarapastu Vegam. A sober person is someone who can control the urge to speak, the mind's demands, the actions of anger, and the urges of the tongue, belly, and genital. This is a sober person. This is dira. This is this is real dira. Daryat. Patience. Patience means willing to disconnect enough that the environment does not take undue advantage of my situation. I'm able to see things in a proper perspective. I'm able to detach enough that I'm not going to be pulled into an illusory existence so Vajra Vegam, Manasa, Krodo Vegam. Control the urge to speak. What's this mean? It means we speak about those things which are of real value. And if we don't, if we let the tongue just wag about anything and everything, then what happens? The mind becomes agitated. Vajra Vegam, Manasa. Well, when the mind's agitated, the mind in this plane of existence, what? It never gets what it wants. There's always something standing in the way. That other living entity's in my way. I wanted to be the biggest rock star, and I'm number two. I wanted the Oscar, and I just got nominated. So many things are there. And after I finally got that most wonderful, beautiful mansion in the hills of Beverly, there's a rainstorm and my house slips down the side of the mountain. So I become angry. I become angry. The anger has to be controlled. The anger, there's no question of controlling anger as long as the mind is not controlled. There's no question of controlling the mind unless what? Unless we're not speaking nonsense. We're not becoming involved in worldly discourse which ultimately is just going to frustrate us.
Because why? Where does this discourse get us generally? This discourse, as we spoke before, it breaks down into one thing. This group versus that group. The North versus the South, the Yins versus the Outs, the Republicans versus the Democrats. This one has an opinion, that one has an opinion. The religious religionist versus the atheist. I mean, it doesn't end. This discourse. So we're talking about patience. Well, there's no problem having patience if we have what? And if we look at the way, it's funny, if you really look, how did Rupa structure these things and the things that are favorable? First we started with enthusiasm, followed by confidence. Confidence. Now once you have enthusiasm and confidence, then you can become a dira. Because what? You're situated properly. You're situated in a, prod, in a process, in a practice, that's nourishing you, that's fulfilling you. It's not being forced upon you. It's a, it's a benediction. Many people out there saying, well, you're, just, you, you're being forced into religion. Well, that's okay. Maybe there are religions that force. But this is Lord Chaitanya Sankirtan movement. This is a voluntary process, and we enter into this process how? Through some mercy coming from the devotee who is simply trying to distribute what? Love of Godhead. Well, really, he has some alternative, ulterior motive. Well, I haven't met one like that that's really a sadhu. The sadhu, what's his, what's his motive? I want, to, I want to decrease your suffering. I want, to, I, want to, I want you to stop suffering in the material world. I want you to experience the highest pleasure that's available to the living entity. This is the sadhu. Now, that doesn't say, that doesn't mean there aren't people out there posing as sadhus who aren't sadhus in all kinds of religious traditions. In fact, in every religious tradition, that's there. In our tradition, that's there. If you remember Bhakti Siddhanta, he went to an accord case and they said, well, you know, you're accusing these Brahmins of acting in one way, but you're acting the same way. He said, all right, put T-lock on them because you're correct. <laughs> okay, that's honesty. That's soberness. To be able to look at yourself and say, yes, I have to, I have to re-evaluate the way I'm giving Lord Chaitanya's movement to make sure that it's the most pleasing to humanity most pleasing in a way that is not exploitative. So Bhaktivinoda, in explaining this patience, he's saying this patience is coming to that person who has the characteristics 
And these characteristics, of course, vacha vegam, manasakura vegam, diva vegam, udarapasta vegam, the tongue, jiva vegam, udarapasta vegam. So, tongue, belly, and genital. The material, the material hankerings will not be there in someone who has what? Developed a higher taste. There's no question of giving up a taste. We're got, we have to have taste. But this particular presentation of spiritual life is based on developing a higher taste. It's a very natural thing. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, it's everlastingly and joyfully performed. What is that verse? Mm. Raja Vidya Raja Guyam Pavitram Uttamam So, everlasting, joyfully reformed. Knowledge is the king of education, the most secrets, most secret of all secrets. It's a perfection of religion, and it is everlastingly and is joyfully performed. And when Krishna speaks in Bhagavad Gita regarding the control of the senses and the mind, he always speaks in a way that this is accomplished by what? By developing this higher taste. You're not going to give up a lower taste unless there is some higher taste. And these things that are favorable to devotional service are meant to bring us to the point of tasting our spiritual nature as quickly as possible. Become enthusiastic and then enthusiasm becomes steady. When you get steadiness, then get a firm foundation in Sambandha Gyan. Know that there's Krishna, that Krishna has unlimited potencies, that he's the source of all pleasure that every living entity is his parts and parcels and he's so they're also very dear to him as he says at the end of Bhagavad Gita you are so dear to me this is a secret no one believes it everybody thinks that God's their biggest competitor no God's not our competitor he provides us he provides everything we want. He provides everything that we need. He fulfills our desires since time immemorial. He's only a competitor competitor when we want to take when we want to be him. We want to be him so bad he creates a world for us. Okay, you want to be me. I pull my hair out. What can I do here? Take I'll give you all that I can, but I can't make the illusion that you're me a reality. I'll let you think it is a reality, but it can't be the reality. I am the reality. But I'll do the best I can. And I'll come again and again, and I'll try to put you on a path that'll make you enjoy what you're seeking. I will give you instructions. I'll give you a handbook to the world. 
I will personally speak it. Here's the Veda. In these Vedas you will find everything to fulfill your heart's desires. And hidden in the Veda you will find its secret that I am that thing that will really fulfill your desires. Hidden right there in plain sight for all to see it's me. You don't want to see that. Okay. What can I do? So soberness, soberness. He's saying now, Daryat, this is one of the six items if we can become sober. If we can become sober and see things in our spiritual opiated knowledge, the way they are, if our eyes can be anointed and opened with the salve of love coming from the words of the spiritual master, that's that's what that's what you want. So now this sense of being dearer, of being a sober-minded person. He ties back to the conditional. Remember these items, these 12 items he's saying are constitutional. Constitutional being they constitute what is our true spiritual nature. Things that are, that are favorable and unfavorable to development of our true constitutional position. He starts with Upadesha Amrita. Bhakti Vinod Thakur touches upon the fact that when we look at bringing the senses under con- the con- control, the process of devotional service is the easiest. It far surpasses Gyan and Karma. Um, it surpasses it due to its, its ease of application. As Guru Maharaj says, it's user-friendly. That means that we're taking our senses and we're simply switching the focus. He says here one sentence, which we, we have from Bhagavad Gita, basically that uh, in the second chapter, 59th verse, Krishna speaks of uh, you're not able to give up a, a lower taste until you have a higher taste. Forget the Sanskrit. Anybody? Visaya vidivartante niharara shadehina sovarjam navartate, is that it? That higher taste. Only by that can the lower taste be given up. It's foolish to think that you can control the mind why there is still, you know, until that higher spiritual taste is taken over. So the process, which will be the next item that Rupa Goswami presents, is accepting those, those practices which will, are favorable to our, to our devotion. Tat tat karma pavartanat. the next one so those items that are good 64 items of devotional service 
those specific five items that Lord Chaitanya stressed. He says something interesting, and uh, he makes mention of uh, Patanjali's uh, Yoga Sutras. And in the Yoga Sutras, Patanjali speaks of controlling the mind. And as a primary way to control the mind, Patanjali says, well, you can, you can control the mind by Astanga Yoga. You control your breath, you control your sitting. Then the mind can, mind can be quieted in that way. Or you can control the mind by thinking of the Supreme. Oh, that's nice. But Bhaktivedanta says, yes, it's nice. If you want to use the control, if your objective is control of the mind and you want to think of the Supreme, that's all right. Krishna's very kind in that way. But this is not pure devotional service. Our objective is not to control our mind. Our objective is to become a lover of the Supreme Lord, to develop a affectionate relationship, to serve him in that affectionate relationship by serving his topmost devotees. But to enter into that service is the objective, the prayogen of our practice. We want to be serving the Supreme in his eternal leela by pleasing the Rigatmikas who are serving him, by somehow assisting them. That's an objective. Our objective is not to control the mind. What a petty thing that is. <laughs> not, not, not even close. So when we think, when we, when we hear, and this is interesting that he brings this out, when we hear this conditional aspect at the beginning of Upadesha Rita, Vacha Vegam Manasakrodo Vegam, Giva Vegam Udar this controlling, this controlling to become sober is just so that we can become, we can not be, we are not disturbed. Dira. We're not disturbed. We're, all we're looking is material. We don't want material nature to in, disturb the cultivation of our loving, loving relationship with the Supreme Lord and his associates. We're not here to control the world. We don't care about all of that. We're not, this is not our objective of practice. Our objective is to become Krishna's lover in some way. He says, there's one sentence that's interesting. He says, those whose devotional service is motivated, he doesn't say how it's motivated, so we could say all motivated devotional service if there's any motivation in your service, you're never going to be able to control your anger. Those who have motivated devotional service, think of, well, that's kind of a heavy statement. What? If I have motivated devotional service, I'll never control my anger. What's, what, how does anger arise? It arises when the mind's not satisfied. The mind of someone 
who's simply doing business with the Supreme is still a mind that has an enjoying ego. So as long as there's that desire to enjoy, then how is that the devotional service that's going to take us to the platform of pure love? Therefore, anger is eventually going to to rear up its ugly head in our service. So we talked about Dira from the aspect of the first verse of Upadesha Amrita. Um, and then Bhaktivinoda goes on to to relate the story of the Avanti Brahmana as relayed by Lord Krishna to Uddhava in the Srimad Bhagavatam. As another example of when one is situated in devotional service, this is Dira. So, for those not familiar, I'll just read some of the English verses. And this is what this devotee went through. And there are so many examples of how sober devotees are. So Krishna is speaking to Uddhava, all kind Uddhava. Seeing him as an old dirty beggar, rowdy persons would dishonor him with many insults. Krishna goes on to say, some of these people would take away his sannyas rod and some his water pot which he was using as a beggar begging bowl. Some took his deerskin seat, some his chanting beads, and some would steal his torn, ragged clothing. Now, I can tell you, I am not Dira, because without my beads, I really would feel like, oh, get back here. You can't take those. Anything else, but, you know, I like my beads. I guess I'm not there yet. So, some took his deer skin. I mean, they took everything this devotee had. They ridiculed him. Displaying things to, before him, they would pretend to give them back and then not give them back. He would be sitting on the riverbank. He had collected some food to eat. They would come up and they would pass urine on his food. Such sinful rascals would come and pass urine on it and they would dare to spit on his head. They would criticize and insult him saying, this man is just a hypocrite and a cheat. He makes a business of religion simply because he lost all his wealth and his family threw him out. He's not a real devotee. He's forced to act like a devotee. Krishna goes on to tell Uddhava, the Brahmana understood that all his suffering from other living beings, from the higher forces of nature, and from his own body was unavoidable being allotted him by providence. He goes on to say, the Brahmana thought, 
thus. I shall cross over the insurmountable ocean of nescience by being firmly fixed in the service of the lotus feet of Krishna. This was approved by the previous Acharyas who were fixed in firm devotion to the Lord, Paramatma, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So, this is an example of Dira. That to think that in that way, this is the example that Krishna himself gives of someone that's Dira. And I thought I'd read something of Dira that I came across just today from Bhakti Rakshak Shudardev Goswami. Mm. He's talking about our practice in the middle stage. In the beginning, there's basically no huge struggle. But at a certain point, um, the struggle becomes more pronounced. So he puts it this way. But the middle, he's talking about when we really come to the platform of a fixed determination to advance in devotional service. But the middle, when the war is being conducted, that is the difficult period. At that time, our co-workers, our comrades, who fight alongside us, are very, very important to us. I am not alone, but there are many others battling alongside me in that middle fighting period of war. Those companions companions are important. Some may disappear from the field, but there will be others to encourage me. Nothing comes in vain, and we must take everything that happens in that way. And then he goes on to say, during this period, during this period of, of being fixed, being sober, fighting in such a way, and when he talks about fighting, he's talking about the fact of being tolerant of the environment. It's foreign to us. Becoming sober, becoming dira, it's foreign. And during this period, when we've made a determination that no matter what, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the environment, what environment I've put in, that I'm willing to accept. The Sastra will also offer helpful advice, but the association of the devotees is nonetheless the ultimate importance, of ultimate importance. So that the Sangha, 
the devotees themselves are, and we see this on our own practice, that if we can stay in, the, in good association, we can make good progress. The second we go out and not cry, well, we're thinking that, that somehow or other, uh, maybe due to circumstance, we'll, we'll make some change. We find that our, our best prospect for advancement is always in good association. It's so critical. And I'll relate something about sobriety uh, in relationship with uh, Gorakhshur Das Babaji. As you know, Gorakhshur Das Babaji was a Babaji, a renunciate, somewhat like the Avanti Brahmana. <laughs> so he was also chastised by the village people at, from time to time. And he would be chastised by uh, young boys. They would throw pebbles at him when he was walking uh, back to his bhajan. Uh, so they would they would hassle him. You can imagine it. So here's somebody of his spiritual character, and he's tolerating this. They're throwing pebbles, and he's thinking. And this is the way he's thinking. He's thinking, Krishna. You're put, you've put them up to this to test me. And it's disturbing me. And if you keep doing this to me, I'm going to have to go to Mother Yusoda. <laughs> so, please, you don't need to, to have these boys chastise me in this way. So the devotee's thinking like that. He's thinking that whatever the environment, whatever the environment is, whatever small price I have to pay to relieve myself from what the environment of my prior activities or from what Krishna is personally putting to test my metal to see how much I really want just his lotus feet. Whatever that is, that is that's not that's no price to pay at all. So however long it takes, however much tolerance has to be there, however sober I have to become to put up with whatever it's, it's really insignificant when we look at what is the prospect of attaining a pure loving relationship without any motivation. Again, in, in looking at uh, uh, Bhakti Rakshak Shudra Dave Go. Maharaj's uh, commentary on Upadesha Amrita uh, he stresses here we have Bhakti Vinod stressing stressing the, the first book of Upadesha Amrita uh, Shridhar stresses the attitude of tolerance when he's talking about Deera the attitude of tolerance 
put forth in the Saksasticum of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, being more tolerant in the tree, devoid of all sense of false prestige. So he's saying that the tree is, is so tolerant. The tree is thirsty, but it never even says, I'm thirsty. Someone's coming and taking the fruit, someone's taking shelter, someone's even coming and cutting off the limbs or even cutting the tree down itself. So this, this what, a, what a position to have to be able to make peace with the environment and see everything that's coming as the will of providence and being willing to tolerate that as some little price to pay in relationship to attaining Krishna. And if we can always keep that perspective, then that will serve us well in our devotional practice. And I think if we look at this dira, this is really the purport of what is dira. Dira is this. Dira is willing to whatever, whatever Krishna, whatever is coming, is coming personally. He is making this arrangement. He has my best interest at heart. In all circumstance, I am simply trying to surrender to him, and he has my best interest. If I can keep that perspective, I will remain sober. And the intoxication of material life will not pull me away. But the second we think that the environment is not Krishna's benediction upon us. So as I said in the beginning, maybe we have to make, first we, want, we just want peace. We simply want to make a truce with, 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 with the environment. A truce. You don't hurt me, I won't hurt you. No meat eating, no illicit sex, no gambling, no intoxication. I mean, it's a good place to start. But ultimately, we, come, we want to come to the platform that we want, we want beyond a truce to see that within the environment, everything is favorable to my devotional practice. Krishna, whatever he's confronting me with, is for my benefit. I'll stop there. Thank you for your association. Hare Krishna.